Whether you're looking for a pre-dinner aperitif, a wine to pair with brunch, or an easy drinking beer to stock your fridge, Bottles Beverage Superstore has you covered. Browse a wide array of spirits for all of your favorite cocktails, food-friendly wines at every price point, and a huge selection of beers, including some of your favorite local brands. The educated staff at Bottles can help guide you in the right direction. With locations in Mount Pleasant and Columbia, Bottles is open seven days a week. window a podcast about dining in the south and beyond i'm robert moss the author of barbecue the history of an american institution and i'm hannah raskin food editor at the post and career well today is going to be the boozy chicken edition of the window since we're talking about fried chicken again but this time not fried chicken by itself but also pairing some beverages with with fried chicken this is following up uh, from two weeks ago where we had our fried chicken episode if you will which was we're pairing off of hannah's uh mammoth gargantuan tour fried chicken joints across south carolina which i have to say i think just got a tremendous response, not just the podcast, but also the articles in the, in the Post and Courier and then the online uh, map and, and sort of data-driven site that, that came along with it and all yeah. the social media. Yeah, Emory did that map, and I don't know if we had an opportunity to talk about it when we were last uh, talking, because I don't think it existed. I think it, it was still in the still design the stage or the production stages. Uh, when we were yeah, it was, it was very much a work in progress. Right. So what, what we can tell you now, if you haven't been online to check it out, and again, is at postandcourier.com. It will map you through the 17 best fried chickens in South Carolina from your front door. So you just put in your address, um, whether your address is in, you know, California or Vermont or in Colombia, and it will tell you exactly where to go. And Including the famous Yogi Bear, the now famous, <laughs> the, the secret is out about Yogi Bear Chicken in Hartsville. Right. Uh, so that was a, a big reveal that came out. So we're, we're really happy to have with us today special guest, uh, Mike Van Byra. The wine director at yeah. uh, Bottles, uh, Bottles Superstore in Mount Pleasant, which is a well. I guess you can tell us what, about what Bottles is. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, it really is. We're 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 a big store, um, but what we like to do is, uh, even though we are big, we like to have sort of your um, boutiquey, small town wine shop feel to it. And it's uh, it's not only wine, but it's beer and liquor. Um, Within, and we'll talk a little bit later about some of the funny state laws. But So in South Carolina, that means it truly is two stores uh, separated by a physical wall because you have wine and beer That's on right. one side and liquor on the other, and never, yeah. never the two shall meet in, in South Carolina. But you have both, right? Yeah, and it's all about selection and service. That's That's who we are. So. Definitely, anybody who's gone to bottles will know the selection, both on the wine side, wine and beer side, and the liquor side, is is pretty immense. So it's it's definitely a uh, a playground, I guess, if you're into wine, beer, and, and spirits. It's a Disney World. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, so Mike is actually here today to help us with fried chicken, and uh, I think in particular, you know. Other than a big glass of iced tea, which is sweet tea, goes well with fried chicken. But yeah. if you're more on the adult beverage side of things, I think we wanted to say what you know what goes along with fried chicken this summer as you're taking your tour around around South Carolina. I know you brought some uh, samples <laughs> for us, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you get beyond the beer aspect, obviously beer is a, is a great match too. Um, you know, you can do wine um, and you can do a cocktail. It, it all you know it depends on uh, on what you like, really, what it, what it comes down to. And I think you know a lot of people when they match um, wine up in particular to food, there's sort of two camps. Um, and most people match up texture, mm-hmm. right? So w- with a heavy dish, you're gonna you know match it up with a with a heavy wine, that sort of thing. Um, you know, with fried chicken, you can go that route. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is like a white burgundy of some sort. Uh, but that gets a little economically, uh, you know, 
Yeah, that's where I not, not not the best uh, thing for the wallet when it comes to that match. Yeah, so when you're thinking about fried chicken, do you go immediately to the wide angle because it's chicken, and there, or do you? Does it more the, does a batter come into play? Does that might, might push you more into the the red world? Well, what about mm-hmm. the the? I mean, the I feel like the fundamental theory every server learns if they don't have time to actually get wine <laughs> education right is if it grows, it goes. I mean, so isn't I mean, the Burgundy is a home to a great chicken industry. Absolutely, yeah. uh, you can match red up to fried chicken, and you really. Can um, and it's uh, again it comes down to texture so that whole batter comes into play mm-hmm. when when you know matching this up with, with wine um, but I think the easy thing to do is you know not to overthink it and you can do again you can back you can do like a lambrusco you can do like a, a pinot noir like a lighter red that would work. Um, but I would think on the other hand, too, because fried chicken is so understood and you don't have to think about the food, it would actually also free you up for a more complex wine. So you could really focus on the wine and not so much on the food. You can do that. And I like that <laughs> aspect. Yeah. But keeping it economically feasible. Right. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> um, I think what, it, what we pulled today is, uh, you know, a perfect match is, is a sparkling wine, whether it be champagne, to your point. Uh, or you, you know something that's super popular today is is prosecco, um, and prosecco comes in you know the same forms and fashion to what champagne does. And this gets back to my second point about matching you know food uh, up with wine is is I like to do it uh, more this way versus the texture part of it is you know acid really comes into play, and and when it comes to you know fried chicken that acid just kind of eats away at the batter and gets mm-hmm. gets into the meat in your mouth and it, it it really makes you want to take a second bite. It kind of cleans up the palate, right? So um, is the idea you'd want to look at acid for a food that's not particularly acidic or does it are you matching acid to acid or uh, the heavier I think the heavier the food, mm-hmm. that's where the acid comes into play. Okay. You know, a lot of fried food that comes with a pickle. Why is that pickle there? It's for a palate cleanser. Right. And that's kind of what the acid does. And and acid is when you when you take a uh, a drink of something that is high in acid, it makes your saliva glands really perk up. That's that's what it does to your mouth. Well, philosophically, I'm sold. So I think now <laughs> we, the, the, the proof is in the taste, right? Well, and yeah. there's also, I mean, then there's a digestive aspect for it as well, right, good. as well. I mean, the, the richness, today we're eating church's chicken, which yeah. is, um, it's pretty greasy. <laughs> I feel like, you know, right. a little something to cut that would, would, would be helpful. Yeah. Um, along with that is a touch of sweetness doesn't hurt either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of this uh, spicy hotness in the batter. You know, the uh, the sweetness really off plays that, which is nice. So what we have today is um, we've got three things. The first two, the first two uh, examples, I've got a uh, prosecco that's sort of off dry, and we could talk about it a little bit further. And then we're going to go into a German off dry riesling. Well. And uh, we'll end up with a cocktail. Big fan of Prosecco, by the way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll make sure we send some your way. I'm ready. Good. <laughs> I'm curious about the reason. German fried chicken is delicious. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, so we got oh, a lot of German style, German fried, style fried, fried chicken. Yeah, at German American restaurants. Um, What's the difference between a German style fried chicken and a Southern style fried chicken? You know, I've read up on a lot, and I'm not. I need to go back to the recipes and to the cookbooks to really be clear about it. Um, but I remember there was one chicken I tasted on the tour. I was like. That's the German style fried chicken. I mean, it, it's a. I think it's just a certain consistency of the batter. I don't think it's necessarily a different method. Um, but it was. I, I recognized it immediately. So I, I need to do more work on this. That, that, that's the great thing. Is there's always more research. There's to always be done. more research. So Mike is now passing around the, the prosecco here. Yeah, and while I open this, you know, prosecco comes in all forms and fashions. Um, you know, typically when you go into the stores, so, and your bottles are, or another store. Um, 
you know, you, you're usually getting a, uh, a brute, and, and that's brute signifies, it's universal for dry, mm-hmm. not only in Prosecco, but with champagne and other sparkling wines. Uh, the, the next sweetness, uh, or the next level above that, going towards sweetness, is, is something called um, extra dry. It's actually sweeter than brute. Um, so the, kind of confusing. But. Yeah, the, so the, the brute is dry, but the extra dry is sweeter than the that's brute. Right. Yeah. You can have a whole conversation about that <laughs> in itself. But. So obviously champagne has had a cachet for a very long time. Um, if I have $50, am I better off buying a sparkling from a region outside of champagne or buying the, I don't even know if $50 will buy me a champagne, but... What's the best way to spend my money? Oh, champagne. Okay. Go champagne. Well, yeah, <laughs> Whenever in doubt. As long as it has the, the name champagne, yes, it's going to be better than anything else. So we each have some of the Prosecco here. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Should I have, or just a bite of the chicken. Again, this church's chicken. This is a very heavily battered chicken. So <laughs> you got to sort of crunch through a whole layer of, of batter to get down to the, the chicken itself. But I think I made it, made it through. Cheers. Cheers. Definitely a very, very dry and perhaps that could be the contrast of having that greasy batter sort of on my tongue. Mm-hmm. What I like about it is that it's refreshing after the chicken. <laughs> like that—that's what I'm really looking for, I think, with this. And, and this is this is this is scratching that itch. <laughs> I'm liking it. <laughs> We have a spin-off podcast with just Emery drinking prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> And I think thematically it has, it seems like, I don't know, it's on the nose or the tongue, but it's got some of the floral notes that you kind of think like it's summertime. Yeah, I mean, it's light. And I think, you know, I think why beer is so popular mm-hmm. with this is, is the carbonation. Right. And it just kind of cleans up the palate a little bit. And this is, um, you know, you guys get a little bit of that touch of that sweetness. It's not overly mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah, it just in, it intensifies the flavor of the chicken. Right. Shall we move ahead to the the Riesling? Um, is it a German Riesling that we have? Yeah. So uh, the, moving on to the Riesling, this is um, Leitz, L-E-I-T-Z. Leitz is a German producer. Um, and this is what they call the uh, Dragonstone Riesling. So this is a single vineyard Riesling from the Rheingau, okay, which is uh, normally you know, a little bit richer in style compared to the Mosul um, in general. As this gets older, incidentally, this just gains weight. It's it's yeah, it's definitely richer on the you know in the aroma and bit more body to it. Oh, it's very sweet. Yeah, I'd be curious how that would register with a whole chicken meal because it does seem to kind of play the role that the honey on your biscuit might or the thoughts on that, Murray. <laughs> you know, I, I I hesitate to make this this comparison, but you know, I'm thinking I often drink soda with fried chicken, mm. and so I I'm reminded of how sweet. Uh, like a like a Coca Cola is uh-huh. based on these wines, and I think that pairs really nicely. Mm-hmm. This one does go, become more a little more buttery on the tongue yeah. or something mm-hmm. when you have kinda... have that fried chicken already in your your mouth. So I think it does sort of make it a little bit richer, butterier, butterier, and uh, a little bit sweet too. I, I don't think the wine itself is particularly sweet. I think it's just in comparison to the prosecco and yeah, and uh, when you put it in with the, I really the think with that sort of caramelized quality to the consistency on just the to the finish and I really think this is a better pair just for the biscuit. I feel like this is like honey and butter in a glass. This is the, <laughs> this, this is the biscuit this, to this your, is a your biscuit chicken. wine for me. I like that. Yeah, no, yeah. I go with that. Yeah. Definitely. Well shall we move on to the cocktail? Yes, Let's indeed. do it. Now I'll ask you two before I pull this out. I mean what what you would you order a cocktail with fried chicken? Yes, absolutely. Sure, yeah, of um, course. I know you would. I'd order a cocktail with <laughs> anything <laughs> and have been known to do that. I, I think I would lend more toward a a 
bourbon or a whiskey cocktail, mostly just because it's almost less think about the flavor is just almost the stereotype in your head. You know, we do, you know, all the, the, the Southern flavors, even though my, you know, my pet peeve is that there's much more to Southern <laughs> drinking than bourbon. But I think a good whiskey cocktail would, would be a great match. But I know that's yeah. not what you, you have today. So what, what, which angle, did, which direction did you go in? Well, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking simplistic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, this is, this is great because of, um, it's a Negroni. Mm-hmm. And Negroni to me um, is sort of a, is a gateway uh, cocktail, right, yep. for people who want to get into cocktails. And, and it, it's so simple to make. It's a classic. It's three ingredients are all equal equal parts. With this one that I made, it's it's uh, actually used a uh, lighter vermouth. This is going to be uh, Dolan vermouth instead of like a Carpano, which I think is a little more richer and stuff. And that's a, a Dolan red or sweet vermouth. Yes, or, it's yeah. a Dolan red. Uh-huh. So uh, as you guys know, uh, Negroni is Campari, right? That's the main ingredient. Uh, gin. We're actually going to drink uh, a local gin, a high wire. Uh, from our good friends right down the street, and uh, the sweet vermouth. And Highwire is an interesting gen, you know, as, we, as you batch it up here, just because it's got a lot of uh, your typical gin. You think of that sort of very evergreeny juniper flavor. That's the the big forward flavor. But right. so many sort of craft gins these days are playing with all sorts of different botanicals, including Highwires. There's there's a, such a interesting combination of a lot of floral flavors, and it's not your typical just very juniper gin. Much more to it. So now I'm curious to see how how all that goes together with the fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a trivia question for for the two of y'all. Have you ever heard of Yenaver? Yeah, like Bulls Yenaver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know the the story of of Yenaver and gin? And you mean Dutch the whole yeah. Dutch story? Yeah. I, you know, I heard Wondrich do a seminar on this, a tale to the cocktail, but I don't remember. This is right before they reintroduced. Bulls Geneva to the market, which was, who's who is the distributor? Is it Haas Alpens? Yes. Yes. Yep. Haas Alpens was just was bringing just it back. Three years ago. Yeah. This was, I'm dating myself. But <laughs> the, the, the gin we typically think of as gin is the London Dry Correct. gin, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, you know, there are all sorts of gins in the 19th century, but I guess Geneva, Geneva, how you, how you say it. I don't know as much of the background though it's Dutch, but I think different flavoring, not as dry. Is that the, mm-hmm. the idea? Well, I think it was associated with the Netherlands, but didn't necessarily have to come from there, right? Just the way that we say London-style gin doesn't have to be right. from London. Yeah, no, it was it's definitely sti- it was it was Just style. the way we talk about French yep. and Italian vermouth, meaning sweet and dry vermouth. Did we win? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I discovered I discovered it. All I, I was, did was, while name I was over there. I think it's I think it's delicious, and I don't like gin, um, which is interesting. And there's also like Old Tom Gin, which is mm-hmm. another older 19th century style. Heyman's Old Tom yep. is, a, is a brand you can get now. For a long time, you couldn't get it. And it also has a different flavor. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a sweeter, I guess. It's, it's, a, it's, more, it's what they used in old cocktails like the, the Ramos Gin Fizz and those other ones. So it's definitely worth seeking out the different varieties of gin that are out there these days because they're not all the same. No, and that's why they brought these back. I mean, if you look at these you know, 19th century recipes for cocktails, you can't substitute one gin for another. Get the same result. Yeah, we get all the time. You know, people will come in and and uh, I try to recommend gin to to, to mm-hmm. people. You know, on the, on the liquor side, and uh, the the comments, a lot of comments are, "Oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't had gin in twenty years." Well, gin has come a long way since yeah. that traditional London Dry, like you were talking about, which is juniper forward. A lot of the contemporary gins now are citrus forward, or they've got you know cardamom in the front, and it's absolutely delicious. Just the kaleidoscope of flavors, mm-hmm. and that juniper is actually in the in the background now versus in the in the front, and they're just a delight to drink. But I do feel, and I'd be curious what you think about this: that gin is one of those categories, and, and there are many in the liquor industry where the big guys actually do a pretty good job. And I say this as a 
beef eater devotee. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's think, okay. You can admit it. You know, I mean, yeah. and that, that's what I, I mean, unless I'm out with Ann and Scab, but who are, that, who own Highwire, um, beef eaters. And I think it's a pretty good product. Yeah, well, I think the truth is the, the big guys do a really good job at everything. Like if you're coming into bourbon sure. whiskey, I mean, exactly. those, especially when they want to, um, right. you know, they can turn out some 10 year old single barrel bourbons that are just incredible. Um, they, and they have huge stock and ability to do it. So I, I think it's less about the ability. I think it's more that the craft guys are experimenting with a lot Correct. of different flavors and a lot of different things. Yep. And then, of course, once the, the big boys figure out what they want, they can quickly go do it and, right. and match that. But, That's true. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, whereas in beer, where the whole craft brewing got started because yep. the big guys were really ignoring Yeah, that's quality. a little bit different little story bit different. altogether. Right, exactly. So yeah. I feel like liquor is on a different path. What I'm saying is I'd, I'd push your neighbor for, for for those people, <laughs> I, I think I think that that could, I think we're I, gonna step past. I think I think it has the the potential to be like the prosecco to uh, gin's champagne. You might be right. Yeah, I think I, I, good I think poised poised for a. Well, let me ask Emmer. Have you been drinking it since you got back from the? No, because I, I can't. Did you do you guys sell it? I need we to do. Find, yes. Excellent. We have several, okay. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm just, I think we've talked about this before about when something you drink in a place yep. is, is so special. Mm-hmm. I'd be really curious. When we went over, my husband, I had the opportunity to go to France last summer, and my husband developed a love for Cassis. Just <laughs> drinking it straight. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, yeah. uh, you know, in South Carolina. Yeah. Now, as we've been eating or eating and sipping here, is it, this is an interesting combination because with a Negroni, the, um, the Campari, which is like this, it yeah, it's really, yeah. This really bitter, your know, bright red uh-huh. liqueur, um, herbal liqueur. But well, that bitterness does sort of come out against the, the chicken, but it does pull the sweetness out of the, the drink as well, which is unusual about the Negroni. There's no sugar in it. There's no simple syrup or anything. The sweetness all comes from just the liquors that are the gin and the, I guess the gin and the sweet vermouth are probably what are really driving the, the, the sweet flavors. I thought, you know, with fried chicken, I'm, I'm thinking a boozy drink is going to cut through that that batter. That, that was my thought process on it, and it, you know, it, I think it kind of works. Yeah. I like it actually. I, I yeah. yeah, I I prefer it to the riesling. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it really works. I think it's interesting. I think the fried chicken makes the the groney fruitier. Like the first sip of the Negroni before eating the, the chicken was, you, you got that bitterness from the Campari. I think the mm-hmm. once you get the greasy batter and all that, I think it. That's why it counterbalances the bitterness and that sweetness comes through. So it's yeah. almost it's almost sweet in comparison, which is an interesting. The drink is definitely changing as, as I eat chicken with it. I think we're on to something here. Yes, yeah, so I think Negronis and chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Ludacris is tired of the chicken right. and beer, I, I have a new, uh, new airport concept <laughs> exactly. for it. What's great about the Negroni is you can you can experiment with, with the ingredients, too. You can make... Um, you know, you can use uh, a dry vermouth um, as well, and if, maybe that's better for summertime. Um, so you can do all sorts of and different things. One of my absolute that. favorites is using bourbon with it and instead of the gin, which makes it a boulevardier or however you want to say it, <laughs> boulevardier. Um, and I think that's a great combination too. And, and Absolutely. Now, now I think of it, that might go excellent with chicken. We'll have to do some more further experimentation yeah. is required. Right. And it, and all you know, all three, as you say, all three elements can be subbed out and swapped in. And so and that includes the Campari, although, you know, Campari is standard. You know, the New York Times just wrote right. about this that um, and this we saw even here locally for Negroni Week that people are experimenting. Um, well, Amaro or Amari, I guess mm-hmm. is the to use the plural, the, which are the bitter liqueurs. They, they are so popular these days and there are more and more of them available and that's what you see a lot of people doing with their Negroni variations is switching up that bitter element switching up the sweet element and 
uh, you know, you're using sweet vermouth, but there's all kinds of other things that you could use that Absolutely. are sort of sweet liqueurs. And, yeah. But it's great because, at least in the classic recipe, it's equal parts. Like, I think an ounce, an ounce, and an ounce if you want to mix them up. So yeah. you can just mix and match up to your heart's content. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had Fernet and maybe one other, you know, Amari. <laughs> yeah. And now there's there's probably like 20, 20 that we have in the store. Yeah. Right. And as opposed to wine, I mean, I don't know what the most expensive one is you have in the store. But, I mean, you could collect that stuff at a fairly reasonable rate. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not that expensive. Crazy yeah, and you don't really drink it. Like, like wine, and you'll drink a whole bottle. You're going to keep it, it, it for a, a while. At a time, sure. usually. Uh, but with, yeah, with, with those, those various Amari, and, and very, you can have an ounce here, an ounce there, and the bottle will last for a good long time. Well, Mike, thanks so much for the lineup there. That was uh, both very tasty, but also, I think, enlightening. I've, I'm sort of rethinking my whole my whole approach to what, what do you drink with fried chicken. Uh, like most things, it just complicates it because now I have too many too, many more things to choose from beyond just beer and uh, <laughs> That's right. uh, beer and, and, and iced tea. Um, but we also wanted to talk while, while we had you here and uh, about some of the, what I call, oh, those crazy state liquor laws. And everybody, no matter where they live, thinks that the liquor laws in their state are crazy and they'll talk a year off about them. But what you find as you go around is that every state uh, has crazy liquor laws. Um, some crazier than others. I, but I was going to ask about that, and I'm sure you watch this industry fairly closely. Is there a model state? I mean, is there oh, one I never like, thought about that. Boy, they've got it really close to how it ought to be. You know, no. Mm-hmm. Every state is dysfunctional right. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to liquor. Yeah. All right, what's uh, the opposite? Is there a stupid state? Pennsylvania? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, yep. and matter of fact, people come in the store all the time from Pennsylvania, and they even say it's stupid. So yeah. uh, you can say that. Right. <laughs> well, and South Carolina, actually, um, it, it's so funny, back had the distinction of being the first uh, real state to, to try the dispensary system, which is where the state controlled liquor stores back before uh, prohibition. Something that a lot of other states, like North Carolina and Pennsylvania and others, picked up after prohibition. So right. we sort of pioneered that path that so they discarded it. There was huge corruption. They, they, they got rid of it uh, even before prohibition came around. And, and actually, they got rid of it by going for statewide prohibition instead of the dispensary. But things still haven't changed in, in, in South Carolina in terms of there, there are crazy laws. I know that the uh, bottles and, and some of the other um, um, uh, wine and liquor stores in, in the state have been sort of involved lately in some court battles over what I think is a longstanding South Carolina law. Yeah. I believe it restricts on the liquor store side, um, no no one person or entity can own more than three liquor stores in the state. Yeah, that's right. On a, on a retail level, uh, Robert, it's it's um, you're able to have three, a uh, maximum of three, and and that's it uh, as an as a LLC or an ownership group. And right now, do you guys, does Bottles have three? Or you? I know you have another one. We have in, two. We, have we one actually have Charles one in Columbia. Mount Pleasant and then one up in, in, in That's Columbia. Right. That's right, yeah. And just to be clear for folks outside of South Carolina, in this state, liquor has to be sold in a liquor store. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. That is one of the differences we were talking before. There is a, not only in liquor, there has to be a physical wall between you. You can't you can't share a door or anything like that. Right. And in fact, if you go to Bottles, there's a front door. Because I'm to the always wine store and the front done. door to the liquor store. When I visit my in, when yeah. I visit my family in Michigan, and you can just put Jack Daniels yeah. in your bin at the CVS. Which yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in. Uh, yeah, was it somewhere. happens. <laughs> I was in the Midwest somewhere. Yeah, you go to yeah. the grocery store, and there's all the liquor there. And there's all the liquor. Uh, someone who here. was raised in South Carolina just right. always looks so weird. It's it like so strange. What's all this liquor doing? It's like next to the bread. Right. I've got a question. So how does that how does that apply to the big box change? Like, am I am I crazy? Like, I because I feel like maybe Costco has more than three liquor stores or, or Walmart or am I, am I wrong? No, they have th- more than three stores, but only three of those stores have liquor. 
I see. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. now wine and beer, you can have as many stores as yeah. you want. Um, but when it comes to liquor, it's the in parentheses, you know, yep. it's it's liquor. So, <laughs> yeah, and liquor is always different. sort of, especially South Carolina, has always been a special category exactly. from the from the day prohibition was uh, repealed. In fact, you could the day prohibition was was repealed, South Carolina already passed a law allowing beer sales. But it took many years before liquor by the drink was available in restaurants, and before you could just walk into a liquor store and buy a, a that's right a, a pint of whiskey or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So what's the what happened recently with the state supreme court and sort of the three the three store limit? Yeah. Um, so again, on a retail level, Robert is is uh, just recently the state supreme court threw out that three store limit, and uh, there's there's politics behind that, just like everything else. And uh, so right now, it's probably probably going to be in January where they determine how many licenses a store can have. We say that the, the Supreme Court, the state, state Supreme Court threw out the limit, but the legislature has to figure out what the new rule will be. Is That's that correct. Right? That's okay. correct. Yes. I know there was some legislation. I think this in South Carolina, the legislation, le- legislative session ends in June, I believe. So they just wrapped up and I, I guess they had some legislation in front of them to, to set the limit, but then they couldn't reach an agreement. Is, is that what sort of happened? Or They got into a battle on, yep. on how to approach it, and they weren't able to come to a consensus, so it, it, it defaults to January. What are the sort of options on the table? Is the options to like try to limit it to a, a small number, or, then, or, or the other options is to have it wide open, or what's sort of the... Yeah, range getting, of possibilities. I mean, the scenario is this: it's it's really you know it's the larger corporations uh, in, in the state versus the smaller mom and pops, and that's what it comes down to. Um, and in our state, the largest corporations are the retailers, not yes. the manufacturers. Exactly, it's all about the retailers. So right. it's sure I don't have to name them. Uh, you know who they are, <laughs> right? Right. And so they really want to control, um, you know, uh, the, the stores out there and, and and pricing and that sort of thing. So, you know, I can tell you this: it, it's going to be whether it be uh, ten licenses or eight licenses or possibly unlimited. Uh, the landscape's going to change. And so, what what will that look like? Do you think for Charleston in in five years, say? Well, from my perspective, I'm biased because <laughs> um, I consider myself sort of a you know a locally owned business, right. mom and pop, um, and I don't think it's good um, because one, you know, the, the the larger stores or the national chains they they carry um, they carry brands that you can find anywhere, quite frankly, and they, they don't really care about the small boutique you know brands, whether it be craft beer or boutique wine or you know some of the you know. Uh, the, the liquors that uh, that we see out there and some of the fine cocktail bars here in Charleston. So I think it's going to hurt the, the city in, overall. I think it's a really interesting dynamic, though, for liquor stores because for, for so long, up until about really five, maybe ten years ago, really about five years ago, um, liquor stores are almost exclusively the small little mom-and-pop single shop in a shopping center with a red dot on the side. And the, yeah. the selection was not very broad. You yeah. know, you'd walk in and you had sort of this – sort of same set of, of lineup of bourbon and, and tequila and, and, and gin and, and vodka. And at that time, this was really before the craft cocktail revival took off, people sort of had their brand. And they, you were just going in to get it. You know, you, didn't really, you weren't going in to browse the shelves and look for options. Sure. But then alongside, and I think Bottles was part of that, al- alongside the craft cocktail movement, you started getting some larger stores that had actually a big selection. Yeah. Um, and so to the point where you can walk into a liquor store now in, in Charleston where you couldn't five years ago and find just this, we talk about all these like uh, Geneva and all these other things, you can find this huge range. Um, and yeah. so we've sort of expanded with the larger stores, but then that's the, the interesting piece. So if the big box stores get into the mix, 
Well, they're bigger, but is that actually would that actually limit the variety? Because I think like if you go to a Walmart or a Target and go grocery shopping, in, they now offer groceries. It's a pretty limited selection of mm-hmm. goods. It's That's a pretty right. standardized national set of brands. Yeah. You don't find yeah. a lot of the local, uh, either local regional products or just the weird products in there. Yeah, it, it. I think you know if that if this if the landscape were box stores across you know across the city, you're you're losing out on you know selection. You're losing out on service, and really what what drove you know new uh, ingredients for. Um, uh, in in our store, at least, are the cocktail bars and, and fine dining restaurants that open up around town here that are demanding, you know, ingredients that they get in, say, a New York or a Chicago or a bigger right. city, and and that's really driven our selection at a retail level. And oh, by the way, when our retail customer comes in the store and they see all this, you know, amazing ingredients uh, like our amaros and our contemporary gins, like we were just talking about, they're blown away because they don't see those in other stores. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's good for everybody, quite frankly. Um, and what I'm afraid of is when you get, and you use your word, standardized with these, these bigger stores, you, you're going to lose some of that selection. And are there, are there more, I would assume, uh, legal or logistical hurdles to opening a liquor store than there are, say, a beer and wine store? Or is it equally... Is it all equally challenging? And I, I guess it's just because if we're going, you know, if you're going to have a mom and pop uprising, you need a lot of these little places. Yeah. We've seen a ton of wine boutiques open downtown, obviously, over the last year, or have heard of ones about to open. Yeah, no one's opening a liquor store. It's, um, you know, I think it's still kind of on the fringe, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a uh, you know, small slice of the pie of, yeah. you know, some of the, some of the, the, the ingredients to make some of these cocktails. It's still fringy yeah. in a sense. Um, but you know, when it comes to opening, you know, a wine, beer, or a liquor store, it's it's um, is one common denominator, I guess, and it's COD. <laughs> you have to have the cash to pay for <laughs> right. what comes in the back door. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. Right, but. right, right, right. And I mean, and you do have to. I mean, I guess it maybe even worse in a restaurant than a retail sign, But you do have to, as you said, there's still these political considerations. You have to win over your neighborhood whenever you're dealing with alcohol. Yeah, and true. I found it very interesting too in the lobbying process. I feel like there's still. I don't some some hesitation about saying, "Hey, we just want to sell a whole lot of liquor." You know, yeah. it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting story to pitch to the public. Yeah, that's actually South Carolina is, has that still that very strong dynamic. Which one of the reasons why we have such a hodgepodge, crazy set of laws is because every new law is not just like an improvement or something like that. It's it's a compromise between competing factions. That's right. Factions, and one right. of those factions wants absolutely no alcohol sold at all, right. and they want to limit it. <laughs> and the other side of it wants to sell everything, and it's always just sort of a, a, a balance between those, which is how we got things like mini bottles <laughs> in, yeah. in the first place, which we had up until just a few years ago yeah. in, in, in South Carolina. Um, so I think that is that, that dynamic. Anytime you put anything in front of the legislature, you're going to have a camp uh, in Colombia that's going to say, yeah. no, right. <laughs> we, 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 we want to do everything we can to restrict it. Mm-hmm. And it makes for strange bedfellows because it doesn't divide evenly among Republicans and Democrats right. because you also have a lot of you know, pro-business Republicans who want to look out for the retailers and the restaurants and, and all that. So you get some interesting political combinations going mm-hmm. on when it comes to booze in the South. Indeed, it, yeah. It's not the same traditional lines. And, uh, you know, uh, liquor as a whole is, is, is very branded. And, and so, you know, you, you take, you know, any category in the liquor category and it's um, the top three, two or three brands, they, they dominate. And that's, you know, that's what you saw with, with you, uh, to allude back to what you were saying before, is the, is the small, you know, mom and pop uh, store historically, that's what they carried. 
Um, but now I think we, we're seeing this uh, renaissance of, of not, not only liquor, but and I, and I think the craft beer movement actually pushed this along as well. Um, people are, they want to, they, uh, they want to innovate and, mm-hmm. and they want to try new things. And it's not always the, you know, the, the, the two or three brands in each category, which by the way, are still doing just fine. It, doing just <laughs> fine. Know? And also making sort of these pseudo smaller brands, right? That look yes. craft, right? So, exactly. <laughs> so how are those playing? Are people making the distinction between, oh, this is owned by Heaven Hill or this is owned by someone who lives in my county? It helps tremendously. Okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So if I'll use an example, Maker's Mark, you mm-hmm. know, a very popular product. They'll come out with, um, you know, a new upper end, perceived upper end product, and it, and and people aren't afraid to buy it. And we're talking, it's it's an investment. Yeah. It's like sixty, seventy dollars a bottle, yeah. but there's no hesitation buying it because the the maker's mark label is yep. on it. Yep. So that helps a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Are there any of the liquor categories where craft is making a dent where people are? Yep. Certainly, gin. Um, we yeah. talked about that. Yep. And uh, if. Whiskey would if there was enough whiskey out there, right? <laughs> but it seems like uh, you know some of the, uh, the the brands out there are starting to uh, you know supply and demand. We're yeah. starting to run like Blanton's is, yep. is a perfect example. Yep. Um, and it's funny, like you know, Papri Van Winkle, obviously a long time ago became inaccessible. You know <laughs> that gets snapped up right away. But then sure. people discovered the Old Weller. Uh, made, you know, from the same distillate, at least, you know, it's very similar and it's really good. Like a, I think a 12 year old Weller, you can't find that anymore either. Cause oh, it, it used to be like the, the fail safe. Yeah. You can always find that, but no, it's, yeah. it's snapped up as soon as it hits the shelves. It's true. It's, it's definitely true. Um, vermouth is another, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. category that you know, people are exper- experimenting yeah. with. And there's these, these smaller, interesting things coming out. Like, uh, Spanish vermouth mm-hmm. is, is something that new that hit, hit the city here. And it's, yeah, vermouth, I think, is a, going to be a, a big category. It's just starting to hit. But for a long time, vermouth was literally a mixer, and you just had two or three yeah. bottom-shelf brands, and you just pick between the $6 or the $7 bottle because sure. you were just going to mix it. Well, they were made, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, made you weren't going to drink it by itself. But now people are starting to discover that vermouth's really tasty. It's, it is. It's a great, it's you know, delicious. just by itself and Ooh. great with food. and Low alcohol, and yeah. you can have it on the rocks by itself and sip it after dinner. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, let me let me ask you guys to engage in a, a thought exercise here because I um, – I thought it was interesting that the limit was three, and I started to think, well, there are basically three major metropolitan areas in South Carolina (laughs) with three caveats, one being Augusta, which is right on the border with Georgia, the second being Rock Hill, which is basically a suburb of Charlotte, right on the border with North Carolina, and then the, the last caveat is Myrtle Beach, a big vacation destination. So I looked up Costco's locations. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting what they've done. I have no idea if, if this is their thought process or not, but the Augusta store is technically in Georgia and the Rock Hill store is technically in North Carolina. So they only have five stores in South Carolina. They, they have two in, in Greenville Spartanburg. That's pretty much like one metropolitan area. So I know that this limit is, is gone now, but of the four remaining metro areas, Greenville Spartanburg, Columbia, Charleston, Myrtle Beach, if you have three that you can have a liquor store in, which three would you want? You eliminate Greenville. Greenville. All right. Right? That's, it's a more conservative area. It is a more conservative uh, area, though I, I will note that Greens, which is one of the, I think, one that has three <laughs> outlets, is a, yeah. has a big store in Greenville and a big store in Another Columbia. reason to avoid it. Um, is there a Greens in in the low country? I don't know. Uh, not in the no, low, country, low country. No. Okay. Yeah. So they, they pick Greenville for, for, for sure. <laughs> Um, the, the Rock Hill one's interesting because going across the line in North Carolina doesn't help you 
for Costco. Safe. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> because that's in North Carolina, it's all state-run liquor stores. Mm-hmm. So that that won't. So that that would still be a market. I think Rock Hill's just not all that big. Oh, so it, yeah. you know, whereas Charlotte is. So I think it is a good question. Well, here's the thing: North Carolina mm-hmm. being state-controlled liquor. All those people go to Frugal McDougal's, which yep. is right, right over the border, the yeah. Yeah. Right, on seventy-seven, yeah. and that's that's the biggest liquor store in the state. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't think is that is that the largest? Is that it's the biggest? It yep. Wow, yeah. that makes well, sense. Well, volume, yeah, volume wise, yeah. It's, it's big too. I mean, it's truly a, a superstore. Yep. I mean, driven by it. <laughs> it's uh, you know, if you go to North Carolina, which mm-hmm. we all have, it, it's the selection isn't there, and they're expensive, you know, and it, it's worth it to go over the border and buy your liquor. But I will like, say, yeah, having right having lived in Washington State when it was state-controlled, also there to vote out state control, um, one of the nice things is they are responsive to the taxpayers. And so if you say, I want you to order this, they kind of have to order it. Mm-hmm. So you're actually able to get things that you, you have a little bit more pull than you might. Uh, yeah, but that's one of those things that I, I don't know how many people think of going to the liquor store and ordering something. I mean, you could certainly do it, mm-hmm. um, and you probably should if there's something. You're, you know, and actually, I, I do that when usually when I'm t- have some crazy thing ingredient for a cocktail, mm-hmm. trying to yeah. say, can you get? Um, sometimes you can't get it because uh, because of the three tier nature. Whatever the retailer one doesn't matter because a wholesaler in the state of South Carolina has to carry it, so That's you right. have to sort of get that magic combination. But if they can, if the retailer can get it from the wholesaler, they'll definitely order it for you. But I don't think people tend to think that way. I think I they, that's right. they more go in and look at what's on the shelf or ask you to have this. But they should certainly if you're getting experimental on on uh, cocktails or or, or you know, interesting vermouths and, and gins and those type of things. The wholesaler likes to say out of stock. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but it's an interesting thought experiment though. There and reading everything. But do, do you want to be in a touristy area, right? Or do you want where people will come in for vacation and go stock up on booze for one big week at the beach or whatever? Or do you want to be in that residential area where you get to repeat customers who's going to come back, you know, week after week? How pleasant. I'll <laughs> <laughs> or you want to be in a, a exactly. residential community right near yeah. the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Best of both worlds. That's right. So I think that's this all, this all experiment. Mm-hmm. I think traditionally you've always wanted to be the further east in South Carolina, the better off you are when it comes to booze sure. because the, you know, it, the the attitudes and I think the market is is more, more liberal and more uh, fertile as you get closer to the low country than Good as point. you get closer to the mountains, which is where um, you know you get the more religious conservative. Plus, crowd. they make their own. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the boozy podcasting studios of the Post and Courier building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcasts and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of the Post and Courier on Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the Prosecco-loving, or Geneva-loving, <laughs> <laughs> J. Avery Parker. Our theme Who music knew? is by the Bluestone Blue Ramblers. And I do want to thank Mike uh, Van Byra from uh, Bottles, Wine Director at Bottles, for joining us today and providing us both with uh, tasty drinks and also some great conversation. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank thanks you. for having me. Thank right. you. Well, until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. Join the Winnow for Brewbash, an evening of coffee on July 20th at Palmetto Brewing Company. Enjoy a live recording of the Winnow with me and savor coffee samples from local caffeine purveyors, including Bootlegger Coffee Company, Mercantile and Mash, Bearded Cafe, and Battle Nut Coffee Truck. 
Tickets are $30 and include membership to the Charleston Coffee Society, a book that grants you discounts and free coffee at 17 local spots. Join us at Palmetto Brewing Company from 5.30 to 8 p.m. on July 20th. Tickets available at tickets.postandcourier.com. 